It's the Farmer to Farmer podcast, episode 94, and this is your host, Chris Blanchard. Heather Lex has managed Ignatius Farms since 2001 when she arrived to start a new CSA program at the Ignatius Jesuit Center in Guelph, Ontario. She currently oversees the vegetable farm, an extensive community garden, and land management for a multiple of independent enterprises at the center's farm, which has served as the well of sustenance for the Jesuit community in the region since 1913. Heather provides insights into the dynamics of farming with an institution, including how the CSA program and the farm developed in a vacuum left by the previous programming, and how the farm became a focal point of the Ignatius Center's identity. We discuss how her role has changed through the years from the initiation of the CSA program to its current 10 acres of production alongside of 250 acres of additional farm production as part of the Ignatius Jesuit Center's larger mission. We also dig deep into Ignatius Farm's process for hiring great employees and interns from advertising and interviewing through the onboarding process and beyond. Heather helped to start the craft program for Southwest Ontario, and she shares the ways that her farm provides a mission-driven internship program that also provides for the needs of the farm. I felt charged up after talking with Heather, and I'll bet you will too. The Farmer to Farmer podcast is sponsored by Vermont Compost Company, founded by organic crop-growing professionals committed to meeting the need for high-quality compost and compost-based living soil mixes for certified organic plant production. VermontCompost.com and by BCS America. BCS two-wheel tractors are versatile, maneuverable in tight spaces, lightweight for less compaction, and easy to maintain and repair on the farm. Gear-driven and built to last for decades of dependable service. BCSamerica.com. Heather Lex, welcome to the Farmer to Farmer podcast. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here. I'd like to start off today by having you tell us about Ignatius Farm. You know, give us the, the lay of the land there in Guelph, Ontario. Sure, sure. Okay. So Ignatius Farm is, as you said, located um, just north of Guelph, Ontario in Canada. And um, Guelph is a sort of mid-sized city. It is not a metropolis, <laughs> um, but it has a very healthy um uh, population of folks that are interested in organic and local food, and we think that we have been part of fostering that. Um, so we are um, predominantly how folks know us is through our community shared agriculture program and our community gardens. Um, and I can talk about numbers about those at some point if you'd like, but those um, are the main entry points for folks to connect to our farm. Um, we're immediately north of Guelph and um, it's uh, sandy loam soils, which are beautiful, <laughs> beautiful Guelph loam. And um, so we have great soils to work with and we're part of the Ignatius Jesuit Center. Um, so it's a Catholic owned property although none of most of the staff that work on the farm are not Catholic. <laughs> um, and that's a whole other interesting angle about our about our uh, landscape. But there's a retreat center here, um, and it's 600 acres of land base um, that serve the farm and the retreat house and our old growth forest project. Um, so there's this really great blend of people that come from a really local angle for the farm and then from around the world for the retreat house. So it's a it's a pretty amazing place to be. <laughs> and it's my understanding that the farm has been around for a long time. Yeah, so the um, the land base has been owned by the Jesuits uh, since 1913, um, and the farm has always been part of that. I mean, um, 
when the land was first cleared to be a farm, there were only a few owners before the Jesuits took it on to have a school in this site. But um, historically, religious institutions would have a, a land base for farming to provide food for the folks that are at the institution. And in this case, a bunch of young men were coming to trained to become Jesuits. Um, so those young men would actually work on the farm with the Jesuit brothers um, and be trained by the Jesuit priests. But they would come here for their first two years of training. So it was sort of a classic um, Ontario mixed farm, which would include um, apple orchards, um, like a big kitchen garden, uh, livestock, mixed livestock, so um, cattle, pigs, sheep, chickens, ducks, what, like whatever they chose that year, <laughs> if it was for a short year, <laughs> for, a, for, a, for, um, for small livestock. But um, yeah, so it was sort of a classic mixed farm, but serving an institution, um, which gives it a certain an interesting history in terms of how it's been built and maintained because some of those Jesuit brothers were amazing at maintaining things and building things and DIYing things in unbelievable ways that we would never do now, um, but also <laughs> in really innovative, innovative ways, right? So right now we have this root cellar that we don't even know when it was built. The, the like last oral sort of history of it is like 1940s. We think it was it was there at some point between 1941 and 1943, but we don't know before then when it was built. And we're using it very actively, and that's why we can have a winter share for our CSA. <laughs> so, and we have a greenhouse that was moved here from another Jesuit property when it was um, sold to become a golf course. Uh, but in any case, so this glass house was moved here um, in the 80s and then was not used actively as a greenhouse until we started the CSA in 2001. So then we had this, so now we have this sort of semi-glass house with plastic sidewalls that you can roll up. <laughs> um, but like there are very few farms that are like on our scale of income that would have a glass house, you know, it, it's just sort of unbelievable to have that for your seedlings. So um, it's a beautiful place to work in the spring. <laughs> it's, I, I've worked in a glass house, uh, you know, on a farm and as well as at the university and, and man, I mean, it's, it's something else. It's it's different mm -hmm. than working under plastic. Oh, it's un it's unbelievable. It's like March in that house is so enlivening. <laughs> so we do all we do all our seedling production there, and and um, it's such a it's also such a great um, even though it's not a big greenhouse, it's such a great teaching space as well for our interns because that's they all arrive and in the early spring you know and they they start that all of their sort of production knowledge starts in the greenhouse which is such a you know when you can see all the different plant families just by like the cotyledonal leaves you know those first two leaves they like so many things can make sense in a greenhouse when you see it all together um so it's, a, it's just a great place to be and to teach so. I love that house. <laughs> I feel very lucky to have it. <laughs> so you mentioned that that's a large house for a farm of your scale. Tell us a little bit about the scale of Ignatius Farm. Yeah, so or the greenhouse itself isn't large, but it's just to, to, to ha even have a glass house, right? Like most people would just have a plastic hoop house. Right. So, um, yeah, so in terms of our scale, we have... Um, 
and it, it's always a funny thing to explain because we double or triplicate everything with cover crops in terms of our acreage. So in terms of our vegetable production, we're working within a 30-acre acreage, but we're actually cropping on average about 10 acres of that actively, um, up to up to 12 acres. Um, so that's where our how much active production space we have. Um, and then um, we have... Uh, as the center as a whole, it has about 250 acres of agricultural land, and we rent out land to um, other small uh, farm businesses, so individuals that um, don't have their own farmland um, that we rent to. And those um, those are also just really great uh, folks to have here, and, and some of them are new and at what they're doing, and they're doing a lot of learning as they go, and some are more seasoned, but basically all of those folks are, are individuals that wouldn't, you know, through their family or otherwise have access to land and really appreciate that we can give them a longer term of tenancy than what is generally available in Ontario, because most land rentals in Ontario are on an annual basis because they're up for spec because land prices are so high. Um, which is a reason that farmers don't have the land. <laughs> New farmers don't have the land. So it feels like a really great opportunity to be able to offer that, uh, especially so close to a great market like Guelph and, well, a great community to live in. So I have two full-time farmers that work with me, and they live in Guelph, and so do I, <laughs> but we can be farming all day. <laughs> um, and that's what our, our tenants do, too. And then the, in, the third piece in terms of acreage that gets used is that we have our community gardens. And the community gardens um, are, again, possible because we're so close to the city. Um, and people that want more than a little postage stamp of what you can get through um, the community gardens in the city or want to be in a more agricultural setting um, will rent a plot from us. And it goes from 100 square foot to, um, I have one woman that rents 4,000 square feet, and it's her own, <laughs> um, for her own family's production. Um, and then we have uh, a number of organizations and schools that are doing synergistic kind of work um, where their agriculture program, um, they situate it here and do their programming on site. So that's just an example of like <laughs> how amazing it is to be in a center that wants to offer the space but knows that we can't do all of those things as our own our own activities so we make the space available for folks that want to do synergistic kind of things so there's a couple of examples of that which would be um, there's a local high school that um, has an agricultural program and they have uh, a greenhouse at their school that they use but and some sort of raised beds as well but in terms of their larger plot they have that here with us there's also a horticultural therapy program that rents out space in the original Jesuit school building, which is called Orchard Park, um, and they rent out space there for their programming, but they rent an annual and a perennial garden plot, um, quite a large annual garden plot from us um, every every year. So, And then there's an outdoor preschool, the Guelph Outdoor Preschool has uh, rent space in that Orchard Park um, building as well, and 
basically the like the center is the landscape for their <laughs> for their outdoor activities, right? So, um, and the garden is one of those. Um, so, um, so most of those um, entities are renting between three thousand to four thousand square feet um, that they use specifically for their programming um, with their participants, um, which are young children, high school age, at risk youth, um, and like and anybody else in society, you know. So. Um, um, yeah, so it's the community gardens are just a beautiful patchwork of <laughs> of wonderful growing. I love them. <laughs> it's really cool. So are you now I know obviously you're not the one who's actually out there doing the work from a management perspective, but are are you the person who's in charge of going, okay, you're you know, we're gonna rent the tree, the orchard to this person and we're gonna get and we're gonna rent cropland to this person and we're gonna set these folks up at the community gardens or do you have somebody yeah, else or a larger sweet. structure that you're working within? <laughs> Um, so yeah, that, that role is me in terms of, so I'm the farm manager for the center, um, which means that I, yeah, I oversee all of those different programs, but, um, and for the community gardens, like I have one seasonal person that I'll hire on contract a year to help me with the, like the setup and, and takedown of that. Um, and then my, I have two full-time farmers. Um, and one of those folks will do the tractor prep work, um, for that. But, um, yeah, so that's, so yeah, but in terms of all the organizational side of it, the HR side of the farm and the who rents land from us and those like facilitating those relationships and any of the issues that are associated with them, that's, that's me. And then in terms of the actual production, like our vegetable production side, I'm outside of that, but like I am one of the most seasoned equipment operators here too. So um, when we are short staffed, then, you know, I'm the person that has to get on the tractor if necessary. If I've, and I, I usually say if I've done my job really well and I've done the hiring well and we're in like, there's no major <laughs> sort of <laughs> seasonal or, you know, HR issues because, you know, somebody has a family incident or whatever it is, um, then everybody is well set up in July and I can actually take a week off. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but my busy season is right. Like it basically is starting now and goes whole hog until July. <laughs> really just working on that planning and putting all of the puzzle yeah, pieces together. All of the pieces in place. Yeah. So it's a, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's busy and it's fun and it's, I work with amazing people. <laughs> okay. So tell me about that. You said you, you hire two, you, you said two farmers and you said you work with amazing people. Tell me a little bit about how you have things structured in that, in that way. Yeah, sure, sure. So, um, so Mike Smith and Donald Boyer, they've been with me since, um, well, as the, the trio that we are, <laughs> we've been together, um, since 2011. Um, and so this structure basically is since then, I guess you could say, um, that we have, um, those guys working with me year round. And then, uh, we always hire three to six, 
um, interns that are coming to learn about organic agriculture. So we have a like a Wednesday program that they're um, part of in terms of their educational uh, formal training, and then they work on the farm as well, uh, up to 40 hours a week. And it's um, between the Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and occasional weekend stuff. So, so the interns are a core part of the farm, and then there's um, contract uh, folks that I'll hire, and depending on the year, um, that varies. So this past year, I like we had a really big staff, <laughs> um, and we also hired a few summer students. Um, so, so there were like twelve of us. <laughs> Right. Wow. Um, yeah, which was which was amazing, right? Um, especially in a drought year where you've basically got one of those people that's doing irrigation like every hour that they're here. <laughs> um, right. So it's um, so it was it was very valuable, and some of that um, some of that contract work I solicit funding for so that we can do some new things and also do some things that. Um, that don't pay, <laughs> like running educational programs <laughs> right. um, in terms of like that we believe very strongly that our internship program um, needs to offer not just work experience, but the the theory behind it that, that when interns come for training, that if they have a question, there should be time to answer the question. <laughs> um, and that... Um, but when you train new people every year, it's not financially lucrative. <laughs> um, so it does help to have the funding to be able to basically have have people that have more experience than the interns work alongside them. Um, because if you've only got two full-time people, um, they're split in many, many directions. So if you can sort of have one person that's focused on irrigation and one person that's focused on um, making sure that like the harvest management is going properly. And so, yeah, so we have this year we ha- we're able to divide that up in terms of um, – Somebody, yeah, focused on irrigation, somebody focused on sort of field mentorship, and somebody focused on the harvest and post-harvest handling, um, and, well, that was sort of split between two people and the markets. So, um, yeah, so so it just allows the interns to actually come in at whatever the level they're at, and they can, they can jump in if they're at a higher level to more capacity, but to also make sure that they really get trained in our systems and they understand why we use the systems that we use. So, um, I think it's really important what you just said about making sure that you have that time to answer the questions. You know, that's really hard to do when the pressure's on from a production standpoint. It is very hard to do. And, and I would say that we are particularly privileged in, in a certain way to be part of an organization where like education is part of their mandate, right? And so um, if we were just a production farm, it wouldn't be, um, there has to be a broader reason for why we're doing what we're doing here at the Ignatius Jesuit Center, right? Um, so to produce like 5,000 pounds of carrots is not the bottom line goal. <laughs> um, so, but if we're investing in um, the training and mentorship of new farmers and new advocates for ecological agriculture, that's a different thing, <laughs> right? 
So I'm really interested in this because because you talked about you're on a you're part of a Catholic institution, but most of the people there aren't Catholic, and and particularly being part of a Jesuit mm-hmm. institution, mm-hmm. I mean. You know, that's that's intriguing yeah. to me, you know, that there there is this larger yeah. mission that you're yeah. fitting into. And I I wonder I, I, I'm trying to think of the right question to ask. So I'm just going to throw that out there and ask you to <laughs> yeah, talk sure, about it sure. a little bit. Um, there's a lot. There's lots to say about it. So I would say that into the. Ignatius Farm as an entity and Ignatius Farm CSA, Ignatius Farm CSA used to be a little bit more hands-off from the organization as a whole. They were all, always had this um, sort of side-by-side and um, understanding that they were important to each other, but not really explicitly. <laughs> so... Where the organization is at right now is very strong in terms of that relationship. And I've been here since 2001. I was hired as a CSA farmer um, and had that role for 10, 10 years. And during the early days of that, that um, the organization as a whole and the Jesuits were working through a lot of sort of reimagining what they were and who they were on this land. And um, we had um, a who uh, an individual who hired me, but eventually became to be um, the executive director, which in our structure is always a Jesuit, um, and who had an agricultural background, um, but was very strong on the social justice um, side of what the Jesuits are interest, have always been interested in, was interested in the education piece, um, but really saw the whole social justice piece for the Jesuits at, with this particular land base to be an ecological justice issue and to be a an issue like to, to really look seriously at rural issues um, and was quite a visionary. Um, so even though the CSA's relationship with the, the organization as a whole wasn't, um, uh, I guess, pinned down as structurally as it could have been, <laughs> it created this opportunity to start something here. I mean, he initiated it, um, but to get it to get it going, and then we had this very interesting ability to sort of act like what the organization wanted to be, even when it couldn't fully articulate it and had the capacity to do it itself. So that when the organization and the Jesuits as a whole um, were ready, the organize the farm itself was already at production capacity and already had educational programming going on that they could say, yes, this is really part of our vision and mission statement. So the um, um, it's, it's an uncommon opportunity to be able to work with uh, an organization um, that really gets the farm piece and that you can really be a part of it because sometimes... Um, we try and match up a farm with an organization that, or a, like a community garden or whatever it is, but we try and match it up with an organization that doesn't really get food security or rural issues. And, um, 
you have to really work on it so that you are an active member of that um, community that is that organization. It doesn't just happen by chance. Um, and you, ha- you have to really see how you are part of that organization or you'll always be sort of side by side and working a little bit at odds with each other. So, so finding the language that even if it's not food security or urban rural divide or whatever it is, um, find the language that that host organization really understands. And um, if you can use that language together, um, it really makes a big impact because the farm on its own had set up its own um or the, when it was just the CSA, we had our set of guiding principles and we'd set up like when we did our holistic management training, we did our holistic goal and whatnot. And eventually we decided actually all of those things are just encompassed in the program objectives of the Ignatius Jesuit Center. Let's just broadcast those. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because I think that um Historically, people didn't want to have, like they felt like, well, we don't want to have to have too much association with Loyola House because that's a, like, that's Catholic, you know, or that's that other entity. But realizing that that doesn't really matter. Actually, we're still part of the same organization and we have, even though there's different focus, we can actually, like, be working really well together and, um, Although your marketing may be branded, like the farm has its own Facebook page because not everybody wants to hear about Loyola House Retreat House or Loyola House Retreats. Um, it's like it's it's a different um, audience in a way, but at the same time, not discounting that the audiences have something to offer each other, and and that's an important relationship to be aware of, you know, and to, and to be, to be able to see when you're working in the organization, how you service each other. And then also that marketing is part of that (laughs) and how you, how you market has, has some different angles, even if it's, if it's a together entity. So that language piece is something they talk about a lot in holistic management when you when you get outside of just the the little bit about farm management but in in the in the broader context of applying those holistic resource management mm-hmm. tools mm-hmm. to to other other holes is the language that they would yeah. use about that yeah. but yeah. really trying to get clear on on what are the things that bind us together you know, and and language is such an important part of that. And I, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, we could talk about that ad infinitum here in November of 2016. But that 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 language piece, I think, is just so critical. Yeah, it's, it's something I've learned a lot about over <laughs> over my time here. You know, you know what I'll do? I, I actually brought. Um, the, I have with me the like our vision and mission statement, but I think the piece that is probably most interesting to the other farmers is the program objectives, which are part of that, which says the Ignatius Desert Center is dedicated to providing programs that foster an ecological way of life for the healing of the world. So most ecological farmers know how they fit into that. Um, nurture a deeper spirituality in people, leading to inner freedom. So. This piece is 
like in the organization looks a lot like what happens at Loyola House in terms of the spiritual direction that's provided there and the retreats and, and whatnot. But all the farmers know that <laughs> when they're working on the land, that leads to a deeper spirituality in people, right? So, and, and, and the spiritual directors know that the land base that everybody walks on in silence here is, it's so critical for their spiritual journey while they're on retreat here, <laughs> right? And then a very specific one in terms of program tri- objectives is to promote the production of local sustainable food. Um, and we feel that it's actually important to be an, a functional example of that and not just be talking about it. Um, so there's a, it's important to be an operating farm as well as an educational farm. Um, and then the fourth program objective is provide a welcoming space for individual and communal discernment and education. And that is like this space is amazing that way because it has this like people come here because of the farm, maybe because they have a CSA membership, maybe because they have a community garden or just to walk the trails or, you know, to help, you know, with some of the naturalization work that's happening with the old growth forest project, you know, they work on these different areas, but it's just this welcoming space where they can find their peace. (laughs) Right. Um, So, yeah, it's just a it's just a beautiful opportunity to offer this landscape that any any farmer knows what healing that offers to them. <laughs> and and so we want to be able to offer that very very clearly. Being part of a Catholic and a Jesuit organization is inter- interesting especially now because we have a Jesuit pope and <laughs> and in in Jesuit um like with Jesuits in the world, there are only three locations where they're doing active agricultural work, and there's only one in North America, and it's us, <laughs> right? So wow. it's it yeah, it's amazing. Like it like it, it it it's we sort of it's easy to forget that for us in this space because we're just doing our work, right? <laughs> but it's. It's very, there's not very many places like this where um, a place of spirituality that is so, even though it's the, the retreat um, activities are, like they're very, they are Ignatian, right? They, like they follow the Ignatian spiritual exercises and it's, it's Jesuit, right? That's what it is. But the space right. is open to everybody, right? And an example of that also with the Loyola House is that the retreat center, when we're not doing our programming, it gets used by other synergistic folks. <laughs> um, like, you know, next month there's a group of Buddhists coming, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? So it's not, you don't, and that's why I say you don't have to be Catholic to participate in what is going on here because most people, when they find, you know, a place that is, yeah, offering that peacefulness and that openness, they recognize it as good, <laughs> right? Um, and so what, with the farm, what we want to do is be able to 
bring that together in a very practical thing, which is like we all eat, right? And shouldn't the way that we grow our food and the way that we give opportunity to those who don't grow food to participate in it be something that is really nourishing? Um, so, because we like, you know, it feeds us, but it should be nourishing for us on all levels. And so it's just, yeah, it's just amazing to be part of an organization that can think that broadly. And then when I also say there's a Jesuit Pope now, who's very interested in, you know, (laughs) being interested in, um, supporting those that work on ecological issues and work with the poor. Like he's quite explicit about that. That now like Jesuits are all talking about <laughs> the Ignatius Jesuit Center in Guelph and what they're doing. <laughs> it's very interesting. We have we have, That's so pretty we have cool. some extra support for things that we were doing that was not as explicit before, I guess. Um in in um, in Catholic circles, like the, the Catholic circles always really strongly supported Loyola House, but the farm itself is getting, um, support in that, that's more active in ways that it didn't have before. Um, and just being part of that conversation is, is really important. So it gives us other opportunities, um, in the community. And it's sort of interesting because, like, I didn't grow up Catholic, so I didn't realize how big of a community that is. <laughs> right? Um, um, but it is a big community, and so it's important for um, us as farmers to be part of that, to be able to speak to it in ways that actually um, engage as many people as possible with uh, with the land and with the food. So yeah, so we have some some unique opportunities here. Yeah, it is a pretty, it's a pretty darn amazing place. And it, I mean, it's taken many years. I mean, like I said, I've been here since 2001 and organizationally, like it's taken a bunch of patience, I would say, (laughs) to to work through the stages of that. And sometimes it was just, I'm going to just, like, I know what I need to do on the farm and they'll figure it out, like that, like structural stuff. And you have so much to do on the farm that you just do it. And then you, you, like you breathe during the winter and go, oh, like let's change this and this and that. And you give your input and then you like put your head down again. (laughs) (laughs) And you said that you started there in 2001 and that that's also the year the CSA started. Yeah. So I was hired. Yeah. I was hired as a CSA farmer. So, and I was the only staff person for that. I had two. I had two fellows that worked with me part time that summer to do three acres. It was it was nutty. <laughs> so you've really you've really grown from from being kind of a an on the ground getting things started yeah, with the yeah. production, moved through that to kind of this this more of a. I mean, you said you're a farm manager, but almost like the the yeah, farm director. Yeah, it yeah, actually sounds yeah. like to me would be the that'd be the that'd be the job title I'd slap on you. So, talk to me about how that how that progressed. I mean, you started again 2001. You said three acres, and it was kind of crazy. Yeah, it it was kind of crazy, and um, out of that, I 
I have a phrase that I've told all of my interns and all of my staff every year, especially in September, or actually more precisely, starting in the third week of August and through September, is you can only run one year on adrenaline. And after that, you have to change your system. Um, Great. (laughs) (laughs) Because I like the second year in the third week of August, I'm like, I'm spent. I can't do this anymore. (laughs) Um, But so let me say what what made it work and why I stuck <laughs> is maybe a, a a good way to look at that is that um when I came I had I had minimal tracker tracker experience. I had I'd done the program at um UC Davis um for two months. I'd like I'd worked on a bunch of different farms. I'd worked in research and in Florida and at Cornell and at um, at Cornell University and I'd worked on a bunch of farms in Ontario, but I hadn't run my own show <laughs> before I started here. And so you do run that first year on adrenaline because, like, we sold out of the CSA, right? Because of that Catholic community. <laughs> like we had, I had eight. Well, we'd planned for fifty regular shares and. Everybody got a small share, so there were 87 families that were expecting food from me <laughs> in that first year. That that's a lot in year one. <laughs> that's a lot of accountability, right? And so, I mean, I overcropped everything, of course, and everybody, you know, which in like now that we do cost analysis, I know how much free food they got. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that I should have been paying two of me. Um, but in any case, what what allowed me to do that was not just adrenaline. It was that I had, um, uh, when I came here, there were two other farmers that were on staff here because there was livestock. Um, and the preceding formulation of the farm was that there was what was called the Ignatius Farm Community. Um, and it was a large modeled community, which is a Christian community where folks with um, disabilities, usually like developmental delays or those um, kinds of disabilities, um, are living in community with their caregivers. And the premise is um, that usually the caregivers are the primary beneficiaries of the relationship. Like, that, like the people with the obvious disabilities have a lot to offer us. <laughs> um, so this had been operating for about 25 years um, and had to close for financial reasons and aging Jesuits. They were concerned that, you know, they didn't want the Jesuit that was in charge to just not be able to be <laughs> replaced. Um, and so, so they were closing that in 2001. But in conjunction with that, there had been these conversations going on with people affiliated with the farm community with something called the Jesuit Farm Project, which was basically people talking a lot about the ecological ecological farming, you know, climate change, all like you know, all kinds of like woes to agriculture. <laughs> what are we going to? What are, you know, we should start a CSA. We should do this, but they like that was. You know, that was going on in the 90s, right? And at least in Canada, there were very few CSAs at the time. Everything like was in its infancy in terms of organic agriculture. In, like there, It was happening, but there was 
it was a lot of ad hoc kind of stuff going on. There'd been people that have been doing it since the 60s and 70s. Um, but anyway, so the Jesuit Farm Project was talking a lot. And when the farm community closed, um, amongst a few Jesuits and the surrounding community, people were really concerned, like, oh, well, maybe they're going to sell that land like we have to make sure that that is still like that there's still community and there's still agriculture happening on that land so that's when the csa was launched um or was initiated um by people that had no experience with csa um and they basically they just hired me to do it (laughs) um and they solicited members (laughs) um so it was, yeah, it was, I mean, it was such a fascinating time because there was this mourning period going on about the farm community, and I sort of caught the last three months of that when I was hired, which was, which was beautiful for me to actually be able to see what the context was that was kind of getting laid for me, right? And why, like, why not PSA sold out immediately, <laughs> right? Right. Um, so... Um, and to be able to participate in some of those events so that I knew, oh, okay, there's, like, this isn't just me starting my CSA. There's a whole other context of what this place is about and what it wants to be about. Just even having the, like, the window of that for three months was huge for me in terms of being able to see what the potential of this place was, but also, um, what was going on here that was already so good and let's make use of that. And even though they're moving on from something that, you know, was good, but also had difficulties, you know? Um, so there's that, that background. Um, and when the farm community had to close, so they had one farmer that was hired to, that had been working with them to sort of, support their work who is an amazing fellow who I continue to I continue to hire him on an occasional basis here um he's like an old farmer you know grew up on a farm not a lot of additional education but you know that man can tell you exactly how long it's going to take to do a tractor operation in a field and he's within like three minutes (laughs) (laughs) including setup and takedown of the plow and the disc and the like every like that that guy is like he was he was not a manager in terms of the director kind of thing like stuff that i'm doing but in terms of field crops and taking care of the orchards like he was meticulous (laughs) and um so he was there and he was he brought on for a time another farmer to work with him who he'd worked with before um to manage the livestock until we uh, the board made a decision that we couldn't afford to have two farmers managing livestock that like it's just unless it's your own business you can't hire people to do livestock right like they're working all night and it's nutty right um, it's very difficult yeah so so the organization as a whole moved away from that um and but when i came on there were these two guys that believed that the csa was part of the future of this place and they saw enough potential in me for being an operator as well as a horticulturalist <laughs> um, to be able to 
So, like, they they trained me on all of the different, like, operations in those first two years. That They, they were like, we're going to do the tractor, op- the tractor equipment stuff for your first year, like, in terms of prepping the soil, and we're going to start training you now so that next year you're doing it, and the following year you're setting up a plow, and, <laughs> you know. So every... So, I had this amazing mentorship that was built into working here in terms of the production skills. And fortunately, because of my sort of other experience and innate sort of perfectionism, I guess, is that, <laughs> like, that I had like experience using spreadsheets to do like the business side of things. I had enough ability like and frugalness that I wanted to keep track of like our finances and numbers and I had enough of the experience on like from from growing up even though I didn't grow up on a farm I had like I had my own garden since I was like 10 you know so I I had enough of years of observing um that I could do the horticultural work even though I was sure that I had like that first year I'm like can I really do this I've I've only worked for somebody else <laughs> you know um but I ha I so that coupled with having these two guys there um is what made for that success, I, I would say, of of this farm. Um because if I didn't have those guys and a certain level of stubbornness that this is gonna keep on going. Right. <laughs> um that it it wouldn't have happened, I don't think. So, and then in terms of getting back to your question um, about, like, how does it move, like, from, you know, starting as the CSA farmer to the structure that we have now, is that in that first um, year, I... I knew that I had wanted to set up, and I had said that in my interview. I'd like to set up um, an internship program because I feel like there's a need for that in Southern Ontario, and I feel like what's happening with internships in Southern Ontario needs more structure because like, it just isn't there, and people can go to an internship and completely not get what they were hoping for. <laughs> Um, and so, and I, and, and I would say that I've worked on farms where that was, I got a great experience because I already had pre-existing knowledge that I could ask all the questions that I, like I got a lot out of my internships. Um, but the folks that came in without any of that background that I already had didn't get, because they didn't know what to ask. And so they just didn't get stuff out of it, <laughs> right? Um, so for the very um, novice city folks that are interested in an agricultural internship, um, they're isolated. They're, like, there were all these conditions to make up, you know, an internship could be completely hit or miss. <laughs> so um, I, when I was interviewed for this, I said, I, I, I want to set up an educational program that's part of that. Like, at this stage, I 
like I did not know how many different things I didn't know about um, in terms of like, you know, just even setting up a business, let alone setting up an agricultural program and how none of these things make money. Um, (laughs) So, um, but I had um, a good friend who was um, doing her master's that was really interested in working uh, on this internship issue with me, and she went to visit um, the craft program in Massachusetts. Her name was Jacinda Fairholm, and uh, basically she made her master's program um, with me developing, helping me develop my internship and program in terms of actually turning it into a program, and um making like writing a manual <laughs> like the first draft of her of the manual that we still provide to our interns every year she like her her draft of that was her master's very cool project <laughs> um so so she she asked me what like what can i do for my master's that like could be work on the ground for your farm and i said I want a manual and a like help me build help me build this structure. <laughs> and she did it and she and it was amazing. And and we're we're still building on that. But, um so so I also had this other amazing woman that was basically volunteering for me like by doing her masters. <laughs> um and and that was another huge gift. Um and so what I would say out of that is that I'm I think I'm just able to identify people that will be of good service to me. <laughs> well, and I think that's that's hugely important when you're growing a business and and or growing any kind of an enterprise is to be able to, to identify those people who are going to be able to help you move things towards the vision that you've got, right? I mean that's yeah, ultimately yeah. that's what you do as an entrepreneur. Because you can't do yeah. it all yourself. No, you can't. You can't. And that, and I guess that's why I say that, like, I work with amazing people is that since then, probably the biggest skill that I've built, because I decided to run an internship, it means you're hiring every single year, right? Is that one of the biggest skills I've built is in hiring and in knowing how to select people that I want to work with <laughs> and knowing when I've made it or one of my staff, if they're doing hiring for interns now, when a decision has, needs to be adjusted, <laughs> um, which is actually very rare. Um, but it is, yeah, hiring has become one of the things that I feel like is one of the most important part of pieces of my of my job, and it, it and it enables me to work with some some really amazing people that either come in with lots to offer in terms of tangible skills or come in with lots to offer in terms of ability to learn those skills. So I want to dig more into that, how you actually do your hiring, because I think this is one of the biggest challenges that we face when we're scaling up our farming operations. But before we do that, I want to take a break here, get a word from our sponsors, and then we're going to be right back with Heather Lex from Ignatius Farms in Guelph, Ontario. The Farmer to Farmer podcast is made possible with the generous support of Vermont Compost Company, makers of Fort B and Fort Light body mixes for certified organic transplant production. And while it may seem early to be thinking about next year's greenhouse season, you don't want to miss participating in Vermont Compost Company's fall pre-buy program. 
When you order Vermont compost potting soil for next year's growing season, you can save significantly on the finest potting soil that I personally have ever used. There are many great options for significant savings. Vermont Compost Company organizes shared truckload weeks where they organize and group orders by state or region. When you place your order to ship on one of these shared truckloads, they offer discounts on the purchase of your potting soil. Plus, they consolidate the orders so growers also save on shipping fees. If you want to get the best possible deal on Vermont compost potting soil, order a full truckload. This is what we used to do on my farm. If you don't need a full truckload yourself, get together with your farming friends and neighbors and order a full truckload together. This option offers the best possible price per sling bag or pallet and the best possible shipping rate. It's also the best option for growers who are a great distance away from Vermont. Growers who pre-buy full truckloads often end up paying a price for their sling bags that is lower than what growers pay for a sling bag picked up in Vermont. The fall pre-buy program runs September 21st through December 21st. For more information, visit the website, vermontcompost.com. Bandwidth for the show is provided by BCS America. BCS two-wheel tractors are often mistaken for just a rototiller, but it is truly a superior piece of farming equipment. Engineered and built in Italy where small farms are a way of life, BCS tractors are built to standards of quality and durability expected of real agricultural equipment, the kind of dependability every farm needs. I've worked with BCS tractors for over 24 years, and I wouldn't consider anything else for my small tractor needs. And I'm not the only fan. More than 1.5 million people in 50 countries have discovered the advantages of owning Europe's most popular two-wheel tractor. And these really are small tractors with the kinds of features found on their four-wheel cousins and a wide array of equipment. Power harrows, rotary plows, flail mowers, snow throwers, sickle bar mowers, chippers, log splitters, and more. Check out bcsamerica.com to see photos and some really cool videos of BCS in action. bcsamerica.com. All right, and we're back with Heather Lex from Ignatius Farms in Guelph, Ontario. Heather, before we took our break, you were talking about hiring and you were saying something that you don't hear very often, that you're very good at hiring. So I'd like to have you dig into how do you do being very good at hiring? Sure, sure. Okay, well, there's some very practical things that we do in terms of being good at hiring. And then um, there's also just having some good gut instinct to pay attention to uh, during the hiring process. Um, so the first thing is having a good process um, and not overly complicated, um, but to be very clear with um, your advertising. And um, so first of all, advertise. And advertise with a good, simple ad and then have a backup document um, because everything has to be simple when you want to get it online and out in many places. So you have a a short, very concise, um, so well-worded ad. um, And then a longer document, especially if you're offering internships. It's absolutely critical. (laughs) And we consider internships hires. They're not volunteers, um, although many firms treat them that way. Um, So, uh, and and that's not a comment either way, but I think that either way you have to be very clear with your interns about what is the arrangement. And so we have an internship package um, and anyone's welcome to look at it on our website. The internship package um, goes through all of the likely questions <laughs> that somebody is going to ask you or that they're 
more importantly, not going to think to ask you until the first week that they start working and realize they had imagined something different. Um, so these are things in terms of the internship of exactly what the housing arrangement is, um, exactly how far it is to get to town, what the transportation opportunities are to town, <laughs> um, what food is provided for the by the farm and what is not provided for the farm, what is the wage, whether it's paid weekly, um, semi-monthly, bi-weekly, what is the payment method, um, is the housing charged on top of that and then removed because in Ontario that's a taxable deduction, so you get if, you, if it's provided, it's it, you pay and then you <laughs> move it, or do you just charge rent? Those kinds of things. Um, so being very clear about those things that affect a person's personal life as well as their work life. So then the work life things are the hours, again, the wages. Um, are the wages, are there deductions to those wages that are just usual taxes and things like that? Or it, like, so what is the gross wage and is it a gross wage? And then like, if your taxes are going to be different because you made a million bucks on another job, your taxes are going to be different than somebody else. So your deductions might be higher. <laughs> um, you don't have to get into all of those details, but you do have to say it's taxable, <laughs> you know? Um, so... What we found is that an internship is just like a new worker. And a new worker or a young worker is the person who is most likely to get injured on a job um, and is most likely not to know their rights and is most likely to um, not ask all the questions that they need to know to actually be sure that this is the right job for them. <laughs> so the more explicit you can be if you're working, especially with new and young workers and if you're training people every year, um, the more likely you are to get people that are a good fit for your farm and the personality of your farm. So if there are certain things that are absolutely a no-go on your farm, like there is no smoking on the farm, um, put it right, <laughs> put it right there. Like we have, there's no smoking when you're working in the farm area. We don't want tobacco over the virus in our fields. What you do at your house is a different, there's no smoking in the house, you know, <laughs> these kinds of things, right? So just to be really explicit about those, because if you have somebody that is an active smoker, they, they'd like to know that right away. <laughs> well, and, um, I, and I like, I, I'm actually looking at the guide right now. And I mean, I love just how, how specific it is. Smoking's not permitted. Uh, I, I love I love this line. For the shareholders on CSA pickup days, we expect you to be helpful, warm, and have a clean shirt on. You know, I mean, talk about the kinds of things that, like, especially you know, young people with their with an idea of what a farm should be might not. I I know that I certainly didn't get that when I started yeah. farming. Yeah. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> so, and I think the other thing is there's certain things that you can do with on-the-job training to reinforce what you've outlined in the package because that package is long enough and we're redoing that package. So it'll look even better in another month <laughs> or more concise. <laughs> but um, what you want to do is be able to lay the framework so that when 
you do that first week of orientation, which we consider that first week of 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 um, when interns come to be actually the first two weeks, we consider it entire orientation um, is like the productivity is not there. They're, they're doing some work, but it's all, it really is training, right? And we have to be there a hundred percent. And, you know, the full-time staff are exhausted at the end of those two weeks because they're still trying to do tractor work and everything else <laughs> in between training right. everybody. <laughs> um but it does mean that those first two weeks go a lot smoother because you're not um, dealing with some of the the questions that should have been known. Um, the other thing is that at the end of that at the end of that internship package, there's an application. It's very simple. It basically tells people we want to know we want you to send us a cover letter. <laughs> which says why you want this job, right? right. I mean, specifically why you're interested in organic agriculture, right? Um, and we want you to, you know, give, like there's a few little sort of like things like which internship are you hiring for in terms of the timeline and, and things like that. So it's very simple, um, but what it does is it makes sure that people can follow some directions. They got to the end of the package, so they actually have some patience to get through a task. <laughs> Um, and that, um, if, and that they've probably, by the way they answer those questions, we can tell if they've read the rest of it <laughs> because they'll use some of the words that we want them to use. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, um, now that might not mean that they make a great intern, but it means that at least they can get through the first stage of things. Um, so that shows us that they're keen. <laughs> um, so, and that they've read it enough to know that it's a modest stipend um, and, and whatnot. So, it, what that has done is that's actually reduced the number of applications that we've gotten. Um, but, it's increased the percentage of applications we're interested in looking at, <laughs> which saves us a lot of time. Um, so that's just sort of the practical side of things. Um, and then when we get those applications, um, we vet them. So we've uh, there's one person that isn't even involved in the interview process or, or whatnot, but she just looks at them and sees, did they follow the instructions? <laughs> nice. And if they didn't, then I don't see those resumes. Or if it looks like it was like a minor error or something, um, she'll contact them and say, we see that you didn't, like something was missed. Do you wish to complete the application? And if we actually hear from them, then we take it. <laughs> right. Um, so, in any case, um, so that sort of just does a pre-filter, and then when we look at those um, resumes, we're looking at sort of a filtered group already, so that saves us. And then we actually do an interview process for our interns. Um, I know that some farms um, don't actually... Um, but it, and it might just be comfort level, but they might not actually go through a formal interview process. Um, the, the formal part of a, an interview doesn't actually have to be that long, um, but if it has a little bit of formality to it, so it sounds like a question and answer, and they actually, we try and get everybody to come to the farm for their interview. It's not physically possible for everybody to do that, and so they might have to do 
um, we might have to do an interview by the phone. Um, but our preference is to prioritize folks that actually make the initiative to come to the farm for an interview because then they've seen their housing situation and we can gauge their body language a little bit better. Um, we try and Skype interview over just a phone interview or at least even if the Skype isn't working too well um, to do that for the first part so that we can see did, like, what did they dress like for this, like, this interview, even though they're, like, far away? <laughs> um, did they, like, how, do, like, what's their body language in terms of, like, are they actually um, looking at the, like, trying to look at us on the screen, even if it's a screen, you know, or, um, like, so are they trying to make eye contact, you know? Um, so, so simple things like that. And, and always having, um, two people present for an interview because, um, and two people that are kind of different, <laughs> right? But both are working with the farm and know both the logistics side and the big picture side. So for our interns, that's usually our two, um, my two farmers do the intern, um, hires and then, um, for our contract folks, it's usually me and one of the other, um, uh, one of the other farmers, depending on what the the job focus is. Um, so, so always having two people, and it's just to, to make sure that there's a good. Um, like sometimes somebody will pick up something. Like, did you notice that when we asked them that, they sort of like they had that like this look in their eyes. You know, <laughs> you're like, oh, maybe that, maybe we. So it helps you to ask follow-up questions and and I feel like I'm going on like on a long tangent here <laughs> on this but maybe just also to say that it's important to have a script of questions that you're going to ask but to not hesitate to um, ask additional questions um, because sometimes that'll give you more insight into what the person is about and also to have a question um, usually at the end once they've warmed up a little bit um, that helps uh, to um, learn something completely different about them. So, you know, like ask them what their like best superpower would be or um, ask them like if they could describe themselves, if they had to do a poster presentation of themselves, what would be on the poster? Or if they um, had to describe themselves as a piece of art or as a, you know, an installation of something. <laughs> like, so like get them to describe themselves in a different way in a non-usual interview question. <laughs> um, so it's just so that you can like see how you relate to the person, you know, or what kind of quirky thing you can find out about them, you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, that was, so maybe then the, yeah, the follow-up is that, that really good, important orientation. Um, and in Ontario labor law, the first three months of a contract is probationary. Um, we are always more generous than Ontario labor laws for our farm workers and for like what kind of sick days and, and those kinds of things that we offer. Um, but it is important for farms to know what the their local labor laws are and how they fit into them. Um, because lots of people that are doing internships actually just don't know that they're doing something illegal. <laughs> 
Um, so it's, it's important to, um, to do that investigation. I'm lucky enough to be part of a larger organization that has some supports in, in terms of, you know, like that there's an HR consultant that I can ask questions to. Um, so. So I'm so I'm fortunate that way. Although we did not have that capacity when I started, <laughs> that's been sort of the last five years, which have been really helpful. <laughs> yeah, well, so and we I think we again, that all on our own. <laughs> not not unusual to move from from being fairly informal in your hiring arrangements to to you know firming everything up and becoming yeah. more legitimate over time because yeah. you yeah. have the res- you have the resources now that you can dedicate towards that yeah. now that the farm is kind of running itself. I, yeah, I say yeah. running itself with finger quotes around it, but you yeah. didn't see that. So, so you said that that orientation process is really important. And I mean, you you talked about what that experience was like for your for your farmers. What what do you do with the orientation process? Um, is it a is it a formal orientation and onboarding sequence that you go through, or is yeah. it really just kind of getting people started with the work and and that's that's the extent of it. Yeah, so it's um, it's formal in the sense that there are um, components that we always include, and it's like the first two weeks are very scheduled um, because we want to not miss out on those pieces, right? So there's, I mean, like the the first day it is like orientation to what your job is. So it's going through in more detail that what was in that internship package or if it's a contract, like there's a different, like it's going through the job description. It's signing paperwork, you know, it's reading the HR manual, like some kind of boring stuff, <laughs> but it's also a walking tour of the farm and it's the first uh, greenhouse orientation, right? So there's some kind of work operation happening in the greenhouse that they have some training on. So it depends on what's happening, like a little bit on the weather, um, but also the, the planting schedule. Um, and then, um, so in, so I'll just list off what's included in those first couple weeks. There's um, health and safety training and health and safety, like sort of general stuff for the farm. And then there's, um, and how our standard operating procedures work, um, how health and safety just works in a workplace and how the farm fits into that, like context. Um, and and again, that's going back to like we're very open, right? Like like I do the health and safety training, and and we're in an organization that has over twenty employees, which in Ontario means you have a joint health and safety committee, and I'm the manager co chair for that committee, so I know this stuff like <laughs> way too deeply, <laughs> but it's really great for the farm because um, both in terms of the farm business, in terms of I understand the legislation, so I know the liability side of things, but I also know um, the, like, I because I, you know, I've operated all of that equipment too, I know the health and safety risks and I know what needs to be in place for those things to happen safely. So I'm right clear with folks in the get-go, especially interns or like anybody that's under 22, I I assume that they haven't had good health and safety training. <laughs> um, actually, lots of people 
like that have worked in small businesses haven't had good health and safety training. So I'm very clear with folks from the get-go, like I said before, you are the most likely person to get injured here. So we are going to do everything that we can to make sure that that doesn't happen, and you are going to do everything you can to make sure that doesn't happen. And here are the things that I think you need to know. If there's something you think I need to know, you're going to tell me. <laughs> um, and you're going to tell your immediate supervisor who's working with you, you know? So, like, just simple, like, health and safety um, communication from the get-go so that people know that if something is hazardous and or they don't feel comfortable, maybe they actually didn't get all the training they needed, <laughs> right? Like, we can right. rectify that. <laughs> um, so, so like, yeah, so the health and safety is a big part of the orientation. And then um, the tractor training is a really, like, that's that's sort of the, the biggest one in terms of that they all get the opportunity to drive the tractor once. And after that, it's based on aptitude. And <laughs> so they all get that first training because they need to know about safety around tractors anyways. Um, and then we go through based on, you know, if somebody's really scattered, they're not a tractor driver. <laughs> so there's those pieces of the orientation, and then there's clear pieces in terms of production knowledge. There's pieces about how the education program works here. There's food safety training. Um, there's, uh, like, their first field trip. We usually... so. We, our education program with our interns, they all fill out a learning objectives um, form, and then we meet with each of them to go through it um, to say, this is how these different learning objectives can be met. This one is actually not happening at this farm. Is this okay? <laughs> we can give you some recommendations, but it's not going to happen because we don't have livestock or whatever it is, you know? Um, but we like we plan field trips and workshops um, every Wednesday according to the learning objectives. So, um, like, we have a roster of different places that we can um, take the interns to or bring folks in to discuss different things. So, um, so we select from that suite or find new ones based on the learning objectives. So, so going through the learning objectives is part of that orientation, and then also um, the first two sort of field trips are already. Well, usually the first month is scheduled before um, before they do their learning objectives, and we can apply them because you have to plan your first month. <laughs> um, but so that includes things like introduction to soils, introduction to like um, botany on the farm, you know, which is ties into what I was saying about the greenhouse, right? You can do a bunch of that training by looking at a lot of seedlings and. Um, anyways, so so we do those things, um, and we usually plan um, those first field trips. And one of them is usually to um, to Toronto, actually, be, um, because you can go to the Toronto Food Terminal, which is like a big distribution hub for like wholesaling um, produce in Ontario. Um, and then we take them to some of the urban ag stuff that's in going really interesting stuff that's going on in Toronto. And then we do like a much more rural field trip, and it's usually um, the first uh, craft day, um, which is the Collaborative Regional Alliance for Farmer Training. We set up um, Jacinda Fairholm, who I mentioned before. She and I 
set up that network for Ontario and so the farms um, along with some amazing farmers the, all the farms that we knew that were had interns at the time <laughs> we, we solicited right. and, and got together and and so there's so that program is active and ongoing um, and uh, so and is now we're now the southern Ontario arm but anyway so the first craft field day um, is within that first uh, month those are monthly gatherings and then we supplement um, that uh, those monthly craft field trips with our own programming um, so that's all like like in that orientation they're getting all of those different um, they're, they're getting introduced to all of those different concepts those people uh, those places um, so that they have a really good grounding and understand the big picture that they're part of so that when they're doing all of that minutia <laughs> um, they they understand how like nobody wants to just read right that's not like a that's not a full internship right <laughs> um, they yeah they, they want to learn the bigger concepts they want to know the importance and value of what they're doing and why they're doing what they're doing so um, why is it important to weed <laughs> and um, so yeah so well, yeah and especially if you think about what an internship is I mean by by definition it's designed to train somebody to be a farmer and and yeah. understanding yeah. the whys and the whens is is probably yeah. more important than understanding how to how to get down on your hands and knees and, and pull yeah, out that exactly. little pigweed. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So the other maybe compliment that I'll say to that in terms of the internship is like during the growing season, there's like a, there's weekly programming and then there's, um, which is complemented by uh, mentored field walks and, and um, like in addition to the workshops um, and field trips. So that like they, they'll do um, a field walk of our farm and what's happening with one of our staff. Um, and then the end of the growing season um, is when we do sort of the, the, the debrief, the deorientation, I guess, which is where we do, like we get down to the nitty gritty of this is how our business operates. You've seen it on the production side and the conceptual side. Now here's the... Here is our budget. Here's the spreadsheets. Yeah, here's all the... And they've been working with, like, the planting schedules and transplanting schedules and all of that, and they've been doing um, their labor records for the cost of production every day. But the actual, like, how does it all come together? Like, they do the crop plan debrief with um, our farmers where we talk through every crop. How did it go? Was that an anomaly for this year or is that normal for us? Um, what were our favorite varieties? So we debrief everything with them. Um, and then we do a crop uh, planning workshop with them where they actually do, like, they design a little crop plan <laughs> um, and uh, including rotations and, and whatnot, um, the budgeting and financing um, business, like next steps kind of, um, uh, there's a couple of those workshops and, um, and, and, like, and then some debriefing activities and, and like the last week we do like a, well this year we did like a, a campfire and, and like roasted a whole bunch of vegetables and, you know, people's kids and family came and stuff like that. So just like doing things and like, and sort of reflection exercises. Um, so things like, um, 
Well, one that we did this just this last week because they just finished last week, so it's all fresh. Um, is just everybody writing on a um, on a paper for each person things that they appreciated and and learned from the other person. Um, so Very cool. it's, it's just a way of sort of like round, rounding things out, leaving everybody leaving on, on really strong note. Um, and then the other thing that um, we've been able to do is sometimes we've been able to offer subsidies to um, for those that are interested to um, the ecological farmers. Um, ecological Farmers of Ontario has um, an annual conference every year now in November um, or December, beginning of December. Um, and so, you know, we can contribute towards if any of them are interested in going to that because that's more an opportunity to go to a conference that's not just at the novice level, it's sort of like their first, could be their first foray into that and, and helps with their networking and stuff. That sounds like a really great program, Heather. I'm pretty proud of it. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, we, we feel like we've put a lot of work into it um, and have had some really amazing people work with us through it. Work with great people. <laughs> so when we were talking before the show, we were discussing your CSA, which has up until now always been run as an on-farm pickup. But you said you're making some changes to that program. So can you kind of tell us, give us some numbers for your CSA program and tell us how you do the marketing and, and how you're doing the distribution now? So we have gone as, uh, as large as um, 250 shares, regular size shares, um, and... So, or 250 households, I guess you could say. And um, those, those numbers about three years ago um, dropped dramatically. And part of this, we think, was due to um, the general availability of organic produce in grocery stores that was getting to be like more than just a few crops, <laughs> um, but also um, that there, so as I said earlier, we, we initiated the Craft Ontario program with these other uh, wonderful farms in our region and um, that through both ourselves and these other farms, there have been some great farmers that have started their own businesses and Guelph is known to have people that are interested in organic farming and they love supporting the new farmer. And so we were no longer the new farm. Right. <laughs> so, so, um, and those farms were actually delivering to mostly downtown ish neighborhoods, which is where the concentration of interest was. Um, so we had to up our game, <laughs> which is fantastic, right? Like if you can't up your game compared to people you've trained, then there's a problem. <laughs> um, so, um, but it was a really important point, uh, uh, opportunity for reflection for us in terms of what the market was um, and also what our particular niche was and knowing that our niche was bringing folks to the farm. Um, and we had, up until that point, always said, we don't want to actually go to Guelph. We want to leave that open for our other farm colleagues who like who don't who aren't immediately adjacent to the city and don't have that advantage. So, like it just felt like let's we don't we don't need to like go to the Guelph Farmers Market because we're four kilometers away. <laughs> right. 
it's easy for the mar- that market to come to you. Yeah, so let's just let's let's just make that available to those other farms. Like we didn't feel like we wanted to create that competition with our colleagues. Um, so, but I think it helped us realize that you know what, there's lots of other neighborhoods in Guelph that aren't downtown and people that aren't going to the farmer's market um, that would be interested in having our produce um, and having a relationship with the farm. But there's also this um, situation where not everybody, even if they love coming to the farm, has the capacity to come to the farm every week. Um, or can commit to 18 weeks of shares. And we had already um, started a winter share that we were doing. So we had this summer share and winter share model. So three years ago, we decided to um, divide up our share uh, even further um, so that our traditional summer share can be purchased as an early, mid, or late summer share. So it's a five-week, the early and mid portions are five-week portions, and then the late summer share is like the fall, it's September and October. Um, and that was really interesting because um, that, coupled with last year starting to go to new neighborhoods, we were back up to um, the same numbers of households. There were around 250 households this year. We were sold out on all of our share segments and um, according to what we cropped, but we had also added uh, a farmer's market um, and for a portion of the season, two farmer's market until that drought hit. <laughs> um, right. But in any case, we had... Um, so we were selling everything that we had cropped, and and the previous year we had not. So um, so we were really happy about that, and realizing that we had we had pinpointed two things. One is that even if people want to come to the farm every week, they may choose not to buy a CSA share because um, they go away for three weeks in August, and it no longer feels like a financial good decision for their household. Um, or they are, like, even if they love doing it, they're, you know, they've got three kids, and it's just another thing to do every single week. <laughs> and and it, if it's not in their neighborhood already, they're not going to do it. Um, so um, the other thing that we discovered is that by marketing in these different locations, we had more uptake for the farm pickup because people were... Re- but they saw us in another place and they realized, oh, well, it's cheaper if I go to the farm. I'm just going to go to the farm. <laughs> so it had this auxiliary sort of marketing benefit of having these other locations um, in in the media. And they also had, um, because it was an, a new initiative, I was able to solicit some funding um, for this so I could have a person working on outreach. So suddenly, like this year, our... We've actually had a much more active sort of Facebook, and I mean, we were trying to do it, but like Don and Mike and I have loads on our plate, right? <laughs> so it wasn't always happening. <laughs> so just having Sarah work on that stuff, on um, as well as you know, build these relationships with the different drop sites and work on the social media side of things, it like it made a huge difference in terms of people finding us, and so. 
we knew that that was a weak link for us. I'm, I'm using holistic management terminology here, but um, we knew right that ahead. that was we're friendly with that. <laughs> that. But we we knew that the 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 media side of things was a, a weak link for us, and that we wanted to work on it. Um, but we also knew that unless we had some sort of we, we had some capacity for somebody to work on that as well as something else that wasn't going to happen. Um, so that was a, a huge benefit, and and we're hoping that we can have somebody doing that at least on a part-time basis in the future. So, um, well, and I so think we, that, that's definitely... For us in terms of that marketing stuff, uh, or learnings that we knew but we couldn't implement before. So. Right, that it just, it simply does take time. And I think it's really easy to discount, you know, discounted as playing around on Facebook, but you know, that, that marketing effort and to do a, to do a good job with it, not just to be throwing some random stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks, but to really yeah. Yeah. be focused and, and attentive to it does take some time and some different tools. And a good person. <laughs> Again. All right, Heather, with that, we're going to turn to our lightning round. So what's your favorite tool on the farm? Two favorite tools, Excel spreadsheets. Okay. <laughs> um, actually, three favorite tools. Three. Uh, people, I've said so many times, um, my people are my best assets here. Um, and then my third one, just because um, it's just so fun to say, is that for um, eight about eight years, we consistently used a very tiny tractor I bought off of my uncle who was in vegetable production called the Friday Power Hoe. And it looks like a go-kart and it's, you steer it with your feet so that you can use these wiggle hoes with your hand hands and get like really close into your crops. And it's, I totally love that thing. We don't use it anymore because of we've scaled up enough that we need something bigger um but it would yeah if you look up friday power hoe you'll find hardly any of them online because they're they've been discontinued but they're so fun (laughs) that sounds like a very cool tool in fact i mean this this i'm already planning my trip to guelph next summer just so that maybe i can see it and convince you to let me play with it (laughs) excellent (laughs) all right and and just because you use this in your as an interview question. If you had to describe yourself as a piece of art, what would you say? <laughs> you know what? Nobody has ever asked me. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> if I had to describe myself as a piece of art, I, you know what? It would, um, one, one time I went on a retreat and I had to, um, we had to actually make an icon of ourselves. The, it was so interesting, and then use it to introduce ourselves. And it was such a great activity. And um, in it, I had put a um, Celtic cross because I have a very earthy spirituality. Um, and I had um, used this like green, um, it was some kind of paper that was really textured, anyways, and made it into vines all the way around it. And and so just being emblematic of that there always has to be like lots of plants around me. 
<laughs> and um, and and like a blue background. I always need lots of light. I guess I'm a plant, maybe. <laughs> so um, probably something that has like I would probably that particular activity had like lots of different papers, but I would probably use something more like uh, wool yarn or some like a natural fiber in there. <laughs> So it would be like halfway fiber art, paper, maybe some watercolor, <laughs> um, and lots of greens and blues and yellows. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> What's your favorite crop to grow? Oh, um, you know what? Uh, if I was using the Friday Power Hoe, it's strawberries because I could weed them well. Um <laughs> <laughs> and I love eating strawberries. <laughs> and when you have a good crop of strawberries, you can make a good amount of money for three weeks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Which is exactly when I need it, when my fiscal year end comes. <laughs> and finally, if you could go back in time and tell your beginning farmer self one thing, what would it be? Um something that I received that I talked a little bit about, which I didn't um, know how much I needed, which is to work with a seasoned farmer for several years on something that I was planning. So to have that mentor um, to learn the skills that I wasn't, that I didn't know I was missing. Yeah. Work with a seasoned farmer, um, whether it's on their operation or on your own, but having that mentor, it's so huge. Awesome. Heather, thank you so much for a great conversation today. No problem. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for your great questions or, or leading statements. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You have a wonderful rest of your day. Okay. Thanks, Chris. All right. So wrapping things up here, I'll say again that this is episode 94 of the Farmer to Farmer podcast, and you can find the notes for the show at farmertofarmerpodcast.com by looking on the episodes page or just searching for Lex. That's L-E-K-X. You can support the show by going to farmertofarmerpodcast.com slash donate. I want to make the best farming podcast in the world, and you can help. Whether you're supporting the show on a monthly basis through Patreon or showing us your love by leaving us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, your support matters. Thank you. You can get the show notes for every Farmer to Farmer podcast in your inbox by signing up for my email newsletter at farmertofarmerpodcast.com. And finally, I appreciate all of the great guest suggestions that I received through the suggestions form on farmertofarmerpodcast.com. Please let me know who you would like to hear from. I'll do my best to get them on the show. Thank you for listening. Be safe out there and keep the tractor running. Farmer to Farmer.